It's the Atop the Pitbox podcast with your hosts, Zach and Josh. Good evening, fantasy NASCAR race fans. Welcome back for another episode of the Atop the Pitbox podcast. I'm Zach Dick, along with my partner, Josh Rolfus, and we are here to talk all things Pocono and look ahead to this weekend's road course race at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Josh, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. How are you doing tonight? Doing good, man. I lifted the heaviest piece of furniture that I have ever attempted to lift tonight when I tried to move this piano for Norton. And I, my back hurts. I feel like I did like a, a, a three-hour workout. Uh, this thing, honestly, is the heaviest piece of, of furniture I've ever seen. And so I feel bad that I was unable to help tonight. I really, really do. Uh, who else helped? Because there's no way two guys no, lifted or no, moved the piano by themselves. No. It, and so David Bangard helped us. Uh, so shout out to David and, uh, we still, we, we got it out of the house. It's in the, it's in the lady's garage. We couldn't get it in the truck. So we're, we're halfway there, but we still haven't okay. finished the job. So, uh, I so am pretty, like- <laughs> pretty sore right now as we, looks as we... like I still have an opportunity to help. That's what it sounds like tomorrow, tomorrow we're, we're, oh, we're back you're doing at it tomorrow and wow. you're out of town it's a shame out of town it? work trip yeah, oh it sucks how that is <laughs> <laughs> oh what a bummer all right well let's get into we got some nascar news what's uh what's new in the the news world so some some things uh are, are be you know rumored in the background so let's just d- dig right into this there uh there's rumor so the kyle bush saga continues uh, I don't know if you saw the end of the race or the stuff that's going on on Twitter, but Joe Gibbs went up to Kyle Busch at the end of the race to give him basically like, you know, a good job, tapped him on his arm kind of thing. And Kyle Busch wanted nothing <laughs> to do with Joe Gibbs. So that has start, you know, sparked some rumor mills out on social media. And there is a rumor going around. Well, this isn't actually a rumor. There, there, This actually happened. So the owner of Stuart Haas Racing, Gene Haas. So you got Tony Stewart and Gene Haas on Stuart Haas Racing. The number 41 car is rumored to have an, an open seat next year. They're saying that Cole Custer is out of that car. And Gene Haas never goes to these races. He is never at the racetrack. Well, coincidentally, he was at the racetrack this past weekend at, weekend at Pocono. So there's some pretty big rumors starting now that Kyle Busch might end up in a Ford at Stuart Haas Racing next year. To be determined, we'll see if anything pans out. The reason why they're saying this is Gene Haas has a giant checkbook. He is a very, very wealthy man, and sponsorship is not an issue. He'll just throw his his company on the car, which he's done for Kurt Busch. He's done it for Cole Custer. He can do it for Kyle Busch. We'll see what happens there. What are your thoughts on that breaking news? So, who else is on that team? If he went, if he were to go to the forty-one car, who who's on that team? So you have Eric Almirola, which said he's going to retire. But the more and more I hear, the more and more likely it sounds like he might be coming back next year in, in that car. So you have him. You have Kevin Harvick, who has signed 
through next year through 2023. And then you have Cole Custer. So, and then you have Chase Briscoe as well. So Briscoe's not leaving. Cole Custer is rumored to be out. Harvick's still under contract. And, and basically from what I've heard, he, he runs the show at Stuart Haas racing. It's basically they bowed down to him like he's a God. So he's not going anywhere anytime soon. And then again, Eric Almirola is rumored to possibly be coming back next year, even though he's announced retirement. So do you think, <laughs> and this is the only thing that I could see maybe why this one happened is, can you imagine Kevin Harvick and Kyle Busch <laughs> trying to work together on the same race team? I just can't picture that happening. Well, especially if you're saying that, that Kevin Harvick is the guy that calls the shots. I don't really see Kyle Busch coming in and saying, Yes, sir. You know, yes, Mr. Harvick, I, I'll do what you say. Uh, I don't yeah. I don't really see that happening or being the case. But um, so is Stuart Haas a championship? I know Kevin Harvick has won before. Are they a championship contender team or is is this just something he's going to go do, get the paycheck? and kind of give up any hopes of winning a, a, a championship. So I would say Stuart Haas racing today is not a championship caliber race team. They, they just haven't had the results this year that Joe Gibbs or Hendrick has had. And so what they're saying is Joe Gibbs racing needs sponsorship to have Kyle Busch in the car. If that doesn't happen, there's really one logical seat left not assuming that there's no additional charters or, or new race teams next year. There's one race seat left, and that's Cole Custer's seat. Gene Haas has an open checkbook. He can sponsor the car, so sponsorship's really not needed. And what they're saying is Kyle Busch should sign a one-year deal, race for Gene Haas, the new TV contracts and all that stuff will be figured out by then, and then maybe he can get back into a top-tier ride uh not having to rely so much on sponsorship. So that's just kind of a, a rumor or idea floating around out, out there right now. It would be uh, different to see Kyle Busch on a, uh, not the 18. So it would be, you know, it happens to every, you know, to a lot of drivers, they, they, they change teams at the end of their career, but uh, it would be, it'd be weird to see. So interesting to see what will happen with, with Kyle Busch. And, and you mentioned the charters, there's there's some rumors about some charters potentially. Yeah, there is. So this stuff is starting to you know hit hit the hit the social media and, and catch fire. So we we'll talked see. about this last week about how the charters would work. So this is yep. kind of really timely on on our part. So. It, it's funny. It's funny you know, how it's we, we announce something, <laughs> we start talking about something, That's... and then all of a sudden you know <laughs> breaking news happens and, and free agency starts taking off. It's it's funny how this works. So. Uh, but anyways, charters, there's rumors that there could be two charters up for sale at the end of this year. I'm not sure what teams uh, would be would be selling. And, and I want to preface this by saying the, the information is coming from three current NASCAR spotters today who have obviously a lot more knowledge in the NASCAR industry itself. But they're saying there's two charters up for sale and... The three interested parties are Denny Hamlin, so potentially turning 2311 into a three-car race team next year. Matt Collig, who A.J. Allmendinger races for him in the Xfinity. So Collig has three cars in the Xfinity Series, I believe. He's got a big checkbook. 
He's got one car running full-time in NASCAR today, which is Justin Haley. <laughs> and then they run spot races under um, the number 16 car of AJ Allmendinger. And then Noah Gregson runs some races as well. But he's rumored to be possibly looking for, for another charter. And then, like we mentioned last week, there's more and more smoke about Dale Jr. getting into NASCAR. He has and to get and one, by, right? And, uh, yeah. I mean, there's no way NASCAR can't say no to Dale Jr. If, if Dale if Jr. Wants, wants to race in NASCAR, they will figure out a way to get him in NASCAR. Exactly. There's no doubt about it. So. Yeah. So that's the uh, that's the latest free agency charter news. Again, it seems like there's there's breaking news uh, every single week. So we'll, we'll keep you guys uh, updated with uh, how, how things are are panning out there. If if he does, if Earnhardt does Jr. gets the 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 charter, so he gets a random number. Like or like, does he get to pick the number of his car, or how does that how does that work? And then he has to fill that with another driver. That's not under contract. So what's the pickings going to be look, you know, looking like at the end of this year? So the, the numbers, he would have to choose from an open number that, that isn't being used today or come up with an agreement with that team. Say, I'm going to give you 5 million bucks for your number. So, uh, cause each number is owned by a team. So, I mean, he could, he could start a team using the number 88. Um, maybe he can work out a deal. Uh, to get a current number today, say, you know, Tyler Reddick at RCR, his number is eight. He's going to be leaving in, in two years. And maybe Dale Jr. is able to buy the number eight car from our, or the eight number from RCR. I mean, there's, there's a couple ways to go about it. So um, again, to be determined, we'll see if he actually gets into it next year. But I thought Denny Hamlin and, and colleague, uh, were, those are two interesting guys that, um, especially with Danny Hamlin not building a new race shop until he finds out what this new meteorite contract is going to be. I thought that was kind of interesting. So we'll so see he's how he's going to add a out. charter. He's going to add one charter for two years in a row because he went from one to two teams, two cars, yep. right? And now and he's going to be in, two to three. So, Which we talked about how expensive the, these teams are and the charters are. So there is a lot of money. And I know Danny Hamlin's pretty rich, but I think that that other part of the 2311 equation is – probably opening his checkbook a little bit to to uh try and get a winner michael jordan is definitely a friend when it comes to a checkbook and <laughs> deep pockets so there's no doubt about that but um again so another scenario that i just thought of what happens if kyle bush can't get a deal done with jgr denny hamlin 2311 racing gets a third charter and knowing that most likely Kurt Busch is going to retire in 23 and Reddick's going to take his spot, what happens if Denny Hamlin just says, you know what, we need Kyle Busch in that seat. Let's put him in the seat. We'll figure out sponsorship later. Or maybe Michael Jordan says, you know what, we'll throw the Jordan brand on this car for a full year. I mean, there's so many different, you know. Which would be awesome because sin- that Jordan car was sick. It was. It was. But have Kurt Busch and Kyle Busch on the same team for a year. I mean, I could see that being another possible scenario as well. So, well, uh, again, I could see pretty much anything happening with Kyle Busch at this well, point. You just brought it up. So it's probably going to get announced here, you know, the end of this week. So uh, that's how that it works around here. So let's that, actually that would be get nice. into the race. <laughs> uh, so Pocono, this race typically, you know, maybe not the you know the uh the favorite to watch but it was it was pretty good what'd you think 
Yeah, I so you you know my stance. I, I'm usually not a, a Pocono fan, just from the standpoint that it's pretty boring. There's not a lot of passing. There's minimal cautions, but I've got to say this is one of the best Pocono races that I can ever re- recall. Uh, I didn't know if they were going to put that PJ one or that the grip enabler in the second lane going in the corners. They ended up doing that, and as you saw during the race, there was quite a bit of two wide. You know, two wide racing in the corners, which you typically don't see at Pocono. I mean, normally it was a one lane track. So after that, um, and then they also brought a new a right side tire. They they're trying something out. This tire enabled the cars to have a lot more grip than the uh, tires that has been used uh, a majority of this year at intermediate tracks. So you add PJ one, you do the new tire, and I thought Pocono from an overall standpoint was a fantastic race. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I thought it was very entertaining. I enjoyed the the race as a, as a as a whole. Obviously, the ending of the race and the post news post race news came out, uh, which we will get to in a minute. That kind of really shaped this race in a in a different light. Um, but I want to go back to your comment about you were talking about the two wide racing in the corners, and they put the the PJ one. Can you explain to me what that is and why do not why don't more tracks uh, use that to create more lanes and and more exciting racing? So the, the PJ1 is a chemical type resin from what I understand. And the reason why it has so it has a downfall. It, it does get, make the racing better. It gives grip to these guys so they can go too wide in spots that you typically can't do. But there's been some people saying that this PJ1, after it wears off, it turns into basically a sheet of ice. <laughs> and it, it gets into the grooves of the asphalt, and they can't get it out. Okay. So some tracks don't use it for that reason and that reason only is they don't – basically it ruins the track. Essentially it ruins the track the longer the, longer, uh, the years go by uh, with this PJ1 stuff. So – that's the reason why some tracks don't use it. And then NASCAR decides that weekend if there's not enough grip and as long as the track agrees to it, then, you know, they'll do something. So they've got a tire machine where they'll literally just put a bunch of race tires in the back of this contraption and they'll run it backwards on the track so that basically it just puts rubber into the track that adds grip. And then there's also this PJ one stuff that they use as well. So, uh, hmm. Again, it makes racing a lot more exciting, but apparently it eventually ruins these tracks. Yeah, and and I don't think I'd want to drive over a sheet of ice going 190 miles an hour. So it's probably a a good thing to avoid that. But you'd think they'd come up with something that would do that, get that result without the the ruining end. The the, yeah, <laughs> ruining the track and and turning it to ice, but. Yeah, and maybe and maybe the new right, you know, that tire that they tried out. Maybe that, if they just have that, maybe that will be enough to then help help these cars go too wide without having to put that PJ one down. Yeah, and you mentioned uh, you mentioned the cautions, uh, nine most cautions since 2016 at Pocono. So uh, we had some we had some crashes, we had some excitement, some restarts where they were fanning out four five wide going into turn one uh it was yeah i i think overall it was a, a a pretty entertaining race i would agree and then 
looking at our, our, our buddy Jeff Gluck's poll, 79% of voters said it was a good race. So remember how we thought, you know, 80% was the threshold. 79% is really, really close. So uh, when you look at the Pocono polls in the last 13 years, this is number four um, out, out of those 13 years. So pretty high up there. A lot of fans enjoyed it. Uh, I also saw some stuff on social media that this that the racetrack was sold out. The infield was sold out. So all the campers, all the tents, all of that was sold out. The race tickets were sold out. Uh, the spotters that we got the information from in regards to the charters and, and Gene Haas said that was the most hopping, uh, loud Pocono race that they have uh, been to in a long, long time. So you love to hear that. And hopefully, uh, you know, this is just a sign of things to come uh, moving forward. So let's get to the the big storyline. So uh, we have what looks to be a win for Denny Hamlin. Sets the Pocono record. 1-2 for Joe Gibbs with Kyle Busch. And then at a, it was what an hour or two later, we get a text message from Norton saying, did you see the news? And... Hamlin and Kyle Busch are disqualified and your new winner is Chase Elliott. So that was, what were you thinking when, when you saw that, that news? So to put this in perspective, NASCAR has not disqualified a race winner since 1960. It just never happens. And you know that every team in NASCAR is cheating. There, every single team is doing stuff to try to get an advantage, even with this new next-gen car. So with that being said, when I saw that they got disqualified, I'm like, what the heck did they do for it to be, one, that fast announcement-wise that they were disqualified? And then, we, you know, as, as the time goes on, you hear that they had, and this is pretty genius, so again, you've got to think all these NASCAR teams are doing stuff like this. (laughs) And unfortunately Hamlin and Kyle Busch were the the two fools that got caught. But what they were doing is all these cars now run a, it's, it's basically a vinyl wrap. So these cars aren't painted anymore. They have a sticky wrap that they put on these cars with the, the number and the sponsor and all that fun stuff. And apparently they, what, what they got disqualified for is they put two pieces of clear tape, underneath the wrap on the left front and right front and this piece of tape is two in or was two inches wide and five and a half inches long and 0.012 inches thick so to me as a nascar fan you got to be thinking like that seems like an absolute waste of time how the heck does something that small that thin have an advantage on these cars, well, apparently what they're what they're saying is the front fascias of these cars have some pretty sharp edges, and what the tape was used for was to kind of smooth that edge out so that the air would flow over the front a little bit differently than it would if the, sh- the edges were sharp. So it might have a little. They were saying it might have a little bit of of downforce or a little less drag on the car, but there's no one that has come out and said they would not have won the race if that wasn't on there. It basically had a minimal, minimal impact on what their cars did. So again, this is the two Joe Gibbs cars had this. You know dang well Christopher Bell had it. You know dang well Truex had it. I was waiting for the announcements. 
you know 2311 racing was doing this i mean and again if all these teams are cheating it's just a matter of if they get if they get caught or not so this kind of leads in to some more penalty penalties throughout the weekend so to me based on everything that's happened so far this year these are the most penalties that we have heard of in oh, one sure. race do for you sure. agree with that for sure this is by far so you've got Hamlin and Kyle Busch disqualified. Before qualifying, the petty GMS cars of Ty Dillon and Eric Jones were caught with um, with some kind of alteration to the rocker box assembly. I guess it was something to do with how the air moves uh, underneath the car. So they got docked 35 points, and their crew chiefs were kicked out of the race. So that was before qualifying. So that's two drivers there. You had Kyle Busch, Denny Hamlin, that's four drivers that got caught cheating. And then just announced today, like three hours ago or four hours ago, Michael McDowell, Front Row Motorsports, number 34, he also got caught cheating. He got docked 100 points, 10 playoff points. His crew chief got fined $100,000, and he his crew chief is now suspended for four races. And what they got caught cheating was is almost – it's similar to what what uh, Denny Hamlin and Kyle Busch were doing, altering the front fascia. They actually used body filler, though. So instead of using tape, they were using body filler, which is apparently more egregious than just a tiny little piece of tape. So, again, the most disqualifications, the most penalties that I have ever seen at a race weekend in my 10, 15, 20 years of watching NASCAR. So. Pretty uh pretty wild weekend in regards to that that uh that stuff right there. So the Michael McDowell penalty, that's the same penalty that Kozlowski got early in, earlier in the year, right? He got the same. I think not, maybe is. not for is that the, considered a level three. Level two. It's a level two. Okay, yeah. so there's a le- okay because Denny Hamlin and Kyle Busch were considered level one, I believe. Okay. So then okay, so then these that's a level two penalty. Yeah, I mean that's about as strict as it gets. So then the I was thinking about the the penalty doesn't really impact Michael McDowell too much other than the fact that if he were to win a race would the would the points take would he be out of the top 30 for points or he is, is he, tw- he is 26 right now so he moved from 20th to 26 so he's still, he's still within that it. top 30 even after that penalty okay so he he's so, still a, a win and in kind of situation there but but if you think about it with how many winners there are if he were to get a win and there'd be 17 winners he would be he would be by far the the last guy on that list so he he essentially needs to win two races assuming that we get to to 16 winners this year or before playoff time if that makes sense right and then so let's talk about turn three because that was also the another storyline from this past weekend it was a lot of a lot pretty much any issue that was on the track at that point was was happening at turn 3 in practice qualifying and the race yeah it, at some reason turn 3 i don't know if i can't remember if there's a bump over there uh if that's considered the tunnel turn or not but guys were having an issue all weekend long uh blaney wrecked there kurt bush wrecked in practice or qualifying which actually led to him having concussion-like symptoms and having to be replaced by Ty Gibbs in the race, who actually went on and have a, 
had a pretty solid race for never driving in the next gen car. He finished in the top 20. So yeah, kudos to him. That was a great race for him. Yep. He did a really good job, but uh, yeah, turn three again, just a lot of issues that coming out of turn three, same thing with the Xfinity race. They had a lot of issues in turn three as well. So for whatever reason, turn three was just calamity corner and guys could not get through there uh, like they could, you know, the rest of the track. There was an incident that happened outside of turn three. And, and this one kind of has a different, a different, uh, a different light in this one, but Hamlin and Chastain uh, turn one, Hamlin kind of runs him up the, the track a little bit. Some people say he could lit, you know, Chastain could have lifted and been okay. Or some people kind of think that he kind of pinched him off, but Chastain goes in the wall and and finishes uh, towards the end of the of the of the field. Is this is this payback? I mean, now Hamlin didn't even win the race, so <laughs> like I don't I don't really know how he feels about that. But is do, would you consider this payback complete? So there's a couple different ways to look at this. Me personally, Hamlin. It assume assuming that was a teammate to his outside. Hamlin would race completely differently in the turn one than he did with Chastain. I don't think anyone disagrees with that statement at all. Hamlin did a veteran move. And, and again, you hear like Kyle Petty, you hear Chase Elliott, you hear a bunch of people out there saying this was probably the nicest way of getting revenge that they have ever seen because it wasn't blamed by any means. But Hamlin knew what he was doing. Going into turn one, he knew he was going to run higher up the racetrack. And Chastain literally had nowhere to go but hit the wall. It was it was his way of essentially wrecking Chastain, in my opinion, without making it look blatant, egregious, and on purpose. So is, is the score even? Is it settled? Well, they interviewed Hamlin after the race. Think you know that's him thinking he won. He goes, "What did you expect me to do?" AKA, I wrecked him. I, I, or I put him, I put him in a spot that there was nowhere to go, but sure. wreck. Sure. So with that being said, you have Chastain has wrecked Hamlin twice. Hamlin's wrecked Chastain. Chastain, you know, got interviewed, said, I had that one coming. It's pretty obvious what <laughs> happened. <laughs> he was but, ready to take that as the punishment. Yep. But I don't, I, I don't know if we can say that things are even or, or this is over with at this point in time. I think it's to be determined. We'll kind of see how they race each other the rest of the year. I can guarantee a Hamlin doesn't cut Chastain any breaks. I mean, we saw it at, at Atlanta here a couple of weeks ago where Hamlin put Chastain in a really, really bad spot, three wide going into, into the corner. He's not going to cut him any, any slack on the track whatsoever. But with that being said, I, is he going to wreck him again? I, I don't know. And, and like I said, we're going to have to watch the rest of the races to find out. But to me, I think they're even. We'll see how it plays out. What are your thoughts? Do you think they're even, or do you think he he wrecks him at least one more time? I think, I think this was a a, a good step in the right direction for Hamlin. I think that he's not going to go out and seek Chastain and and seek revenge. But if it happens to be a situation that he finds himself in where he is racing you know, for the lead or for a position, Chastain is going to, he's going to have to be very careful because I think Hamlin is going to not give him an inch and he's going to just force Chastain to, to make a decision. And so 
I don't I think they're close they're closer now than they were going into the weekend. But I still think Hamlin will if given the opportunity will will take him out if if it if it calls if it calls for it. So so with that being said, the only scenario I can see Hamlin taking Chastain out say come playoff time these guys need a win to advance to the next round. Chastain's leading, Hamlin's in second place, and Chast or and Hamlin gets to Chastain's bumper. I could see him moving him out of the way or wrecking him for that win because we know how much wins are important, especially if it gets Hamlin into the next round of the playoffs. That would be the one scenario where I could see yeah. Hamlin doing something like that. If if it's not for a win, I just don't see Hamlin wrecking Chastain anymore. I just don't At see it. At that point, it's too know. much. Yeah. At that point, I think it's it's excessive. But you never know. These these drivers have long memories, so they will uh, we'll see what what Hamlin decides to do. Uh, so just to recap, stage one winner was Larson, so he gets some bonus points there. Kyle Busch won stage two, and then your and actually also got points for uh, most laps led. So Good, good uh, mitigate mitigant to uh, Kyle Busch's terrible uh, finish, and then your winner was uh, Chase Elliott. Gets his fourth win of the year, my boy. And this is a crazy stat provided to us by our statistician Justin Norton. In the last five races, Chase Elliott has negative twenty fantasy points. That's insane craziest run that I can remember fantasy wise for a driver negative 20 points in five races and granted and our look this, this year is a little different because of the extra bonus points for laps led um, yep but even given that it's 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 unprecedented even Kyle Larson didn't do this and as we've kind of bantered back and forth at work I really hope Chase Elliott is blowing his wad now before the playoffs. Because you look at all these teams and all these move, all these movers, essentially almost every single one of them have Chase Elliott on there. So you, you brought up David Banger earlier. He was in the 80s. He's now in the 20s or knock, you know, knocking on the door uh, of the playoffs or in the playoffs today. It's because he has Chase Elliott on the team. If you have a driver that has negative 20 points in five weeks and you take that same, same you know, point slot and say you compare it to a Kyle Larson who probably has – 40, 50, 60 points in that five-week span, that's that's a 70, 80, 90-point swing. So it's not crazy that anybody that has Chase Elliott on their team is making some drastic moves right now, a.k.a. the Sandwich family, the whole Sandwich family. But I really hope Chase Elliott starts to falter, and, and quite frankly, I hope he wrecks this weekend at Indy. So, Zach, is it safe to say that you have Chase Elliott on any of your teams? Negative. I No. Oh, no. shoot. I no. chose I chose Kyle Larson instead, and obviously right now that doesn't doesn't look good. Chase Elliott, baby. Um, so our picks for the race. So we didn't even talk about this. Let's we got to go back. I meant to bring this up with the Hamlin Bush stuff. So, um, or sorry, the Hamlin Chastain uh, incident. So lost in all that was Kevin Harvick. My pick was running fourth and gets caught up in just nowhere to go and Chastain bounces off the wall and and Harvick finishes 27th uh when he could have I don't know if he was fast enough to 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 beat 
uh, Kyle Busch, but or or Hamlin, but it was it, at least he was up there. Uh, and then Truex finished seventh in the top ten. So another another week where we we don't get to pick the winner. So nobody gets a pie in the face this week. We're getting closer though. I mean, we're starting to pick some consistent top tens here. So it's just a matter of time. So let's get into the fantasy discussion and team average. So this was initially it was sixty eight, uh, but after the two disqualifications. Hamlin and, and Kyle Busch are owned on a, on a bunch of teams, so it's going to adjust this pretty significantly, and we saw that as it, it went up to 77. Um, and then the big uh, big news, or the, the person that was most pleased with the disqualifications had to be Taylor Schleiss, and I even thought, hey, maybe Taylor put that piece of clear tape on those cars because <laughs> Taylor was in third place. He was going to keep the podcast jinx going, and then a couple later, a couple hours later, he's back in first uh, where he was last week. So, um, did you think the podcast jinx was gonna? What were you thinking as that was was happening? Uh, man, I would. The thing that was going through my mind is we're not going to get anybody else on this podcast the way this is <laughs> this is shaking out. So I'm glad to see that he's still in first place. Um, but uh, again, I, I I truly hope that this podcast curse is not a real thing. But it would hurt um, again, for a future guest. You're right. We we should so, be we should be vote, uh, rooting against it. I guess. Yeah, but anyways, it, it was uh, you know a, a nine point swing on these team averages. I mean, that's a pretty big number when you think about it in the grand scheme of things. So those you know those two DQs definitely hurt some teams, my teams put, included. Because they put Norton to work. He was tweeting out, and then he had to retweet and update his spreadsheet, and so it was uh, it was a hectic couple hours. But when we look at the top ten, like we mentioned before, Taylor Schleiss retained the top spot. Uh, he did put up ninety three points, so it was he barely hung on to it. Uh, but those disqualifications really hurt hurt the other teams. And Crazy Dale number two uh, stayed at number two, so the top two again. Uh, stayed with Taylor and Crazy Dale. He put up 63 points. Number three is Amy Weiss, who's up eight spots, 36 points last week, uh, which I think is one of the lower scores. Uh, she is the first time she's been in the top 10 this this season. Number four, Steve Rolfus, number four, falls one spot and had 67 points, so just uh, still below the average there. Number five, Ryan Brash, number two, is uh, fell one spot. He had sixty-four points. Number six stayed, and this is where it gets it. This is where it gets good. I, I this this part of the this is, the this is ridiculous. Is, is is really good. So stick with me, Zach. This is fun. So number six, uh, uh, Jasmine Rolfus, she stayed at number six with sixty-nine points. Then we go to number seven is Kinnick Rolfus. He joins the top 10 for the first time this year, and he's up seven. He also had a score of 36. And then we have eight spot, bigger sandwich. So down one, 68 points, but still in the top 10. And then last but not least, number nine, the last Rolfus, Reagan Rolfus. And she stays at number nine with 63 points. So one, two, three, four, five, no, four. Rolfuses in a row, plus a fifth in the that's in the the top four. So 
Absolutely ridiculous. Pretty good run here for the Rolfes family. So uh, rounding out the top 10, Richard Rainey uh, had 89 points. So another uh, team that was over the team average, and he fell five spots but stays in the top 10. And we had two two teams fall out of the top 10. Mark Krejci went to uh, P15. He had 100 fantasy points. And Dennis Musich fell to P12. He had 97 uh, fantasy points. So rough weeks for those two uh, those two teams. Let's get into f- the risers and fallers of the week. In regards to the risers, Dave Brammon, number one, went from P72 to P52. Don Brockman went from P30 to P12. And Lois Heasy went from P63 to P48. And you look at those teams, I've been saying it for the last couple weeks. Say it again now, Chase Elliott. Chase Elliott is single-handedly carrying some teams into positions that they have not been before or maintaining them in the, in the top 10. So you, you look at these guys, Chase Elliott on all three teams, Kyle Larson on two of the three, Truex uh, on one team. You have Suarez who had a good you know top 10 week. So, you know, again, Chase Elliott is doing some crazy stuff for these guys right now with how well he's performed. I mean, he's doing the- he's doing what what Larson did for a lot of the teams last year. I mean, the teams yeah. that won last year had Larson when he just dominated. So it's it seems to be you get one driver that's really hot. And if he's on your team, you've got a pretty good, at least a decent shot to, to make the playoffs. Exactly. No, that's a good comparison. That's that's for sure. In regards to the fallers, yours truly went from P12 to P31. Nikki Hayner went from P51 to P62. And Troy Plombeck went from P36 to P47. Kyle Busch with a disqualification definitely hurts. Uh, Blaney had a really bad week. Kevin Harvick got caught up in a wreck. Chastain got caught up in the wreck. And I believe Reddick had issues as well. So you look at those teams. Hamlin was on there as well. So... Just a lot of uh, unfortunate bad luck on those teams. A- again, um, when you have one, two, three drivers that finish toward toward the back of the pack, and with how tight these standings are, it- it's going to create some big swings in the points, and that's what we're seeing right now. As it, co- as it uh, pertains to the rookies, like we mentioned, Taylor is in first position, uh, was in third position before the the disqualifications. Patrick McMeekin is in 17th. Uh, David Banger in P21. You mentioned earlier his his rise. Uh, the The week of April 4th, he was in 86th place out of 100. He made a swap. He swapped Austin Sindrick for Ross Chastain. And this many weeks later, he is now in the playoffs in his first year. So shout out to David. Nice job with the with the swap. And even though he probably doesn't know what he's doing, he's uh, he, he he made the right move, and and he's currently in the playoffs. So, um, good job to him. Definitely a swap that has worked out to this point. There is no no questions or no doubt about it. That was a, that was a good swap. And then again, if you have Chase Elliott, you're going to be moving here in the last five weeks. So props to him. And and that's an obvious swap for uh, the you know now. But in the beginning of the season, when he made that swap. Um, February, March. So it's a couple months in. Um, but you know, I don't know at what point he was 
kind of established himself. But in the beginning, there was a lot of doubters of how how he could continue. And so to pull that trigger is and make that move is paying off for David. Mark Paulson is in P26, Bush Bush Busher in P27, and Keeley Park is in P29. Looking at the playoffs, the the difference between first and twenty-fourth is getting tighter as we get in later into the season. It is down to one sixteen between first and twenty-fourth now. It was one twenty-five last week. So these uh these standings are getting condensed. Only 40 points, or sorry, only 50 points separate 24th spot from 41st spot, which is Nikki Krejci. So even back in 41st spot, you still have a chance to make the playoffs. And once you're in, anything can happen. So looking at the last four into the playoffs as it stands right now, Matt Powers, David Bangert, Justin Norton, number three, sneaks in there, and Adam Studer, number two. And then your first four out, Tammy Colby, who has spent some time in the, the top 10 this season, Mark Paulson, Bush Bush Busher, and Andrew Dickel. Yeah, so if you think about this weekend, what's coming up, it's the Indy Road Course race. Uh, last year was the first time that they raced the road course in NASCAR. Obviously, it used to be the Brickyard 400. That race kind of started losing you know, fans. The attendance was down. Roger Penske who is the owner of the racetrack uh, and, and owns some teams in NASCAR, decided to buy the track. They went to this road course race, uh, and all things considered, it was it was a pretty big hit last year. So when looking at the Zach's track facts of the week, yes, the f- track fact number one, Indy was built in 1909. And it was is the first racing facility to use the word speedway. You think about all these racetracks; everyone basically uses speedway in 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 the uh, the name today. Well, Indy was the first racetrack to use speedway. I thought that was pretty cool. Zach Zach's track facts number two of the night: the track was originally paved with stone and tar, but there were several racing accidents. The first race <laughs> they had there. Yeah, this is man. I, I just can picture these guys in these open wheel cars getting pelted with rocks and tar. I just can't imagine how like just dumb that had to be. But actually, in the first race, because of that, uh, there was five fatalities. Five race car drivers died in race one at the Indianapolis Motor that, that got Speedway. A lot, that got a lot less funny as you, as you went through well, that no, track. But, but it, I mean, again, you think about these guys, they're getting pelted with rocks. Whose getting, idea was it to put that as the, as the compound for the track? Crazy. Absolutely crazy. So this leads into Zach's track facts number three of the night. Because of the disaster of the stone and tar, they completely repaved the track with 3.2 million bricks. So that is why the track has the name the Brickyard. And to this day, so obviously the track has been repaved with asphalt, but there is a three-foot section of bricks at the uh, start-finish line that is from the original bricks back in 1909. So that is why it is called the Brickyard and makes up for the five drivers who died race one in 1909. Zach wow. tra- Zach's track facts number four of the night. 
Indianapolis Motor Speedway is the largest and highest capacity sporting facility in the world. At its peak, Indy has enough seats for 257,000 fans. And when you add in the infield, the racetrack can hold upwards of 400,000 fans. So think about U.S. Bank Stadium, you know, the Vikings. Think about, you know, the other major NFL stadiums because those are by far the biggest stadiums in regards to fan attendance. Times those by four, six, seven, and that's essentially how many fans Indy can hold at one point. So that is just a massive amount of people. So Indianapolis is a an interesting track to me. I I lived in Indiana for for four years, and part of the school trip is to go to the track and during May and go to the museum and stuff. So I that was kind of my first introduction to racing was Memorial Day weekend. You know, you you get the paper and you pick your driver and you you, you watch the race. It, I have very fond memories of of this track. And it's funny that you say that the first NASCAR race that I ever went to was the Brickyard 400. No way. In 2009, I was interning at Agon in Cedar Rapids and me and two guys just on a whim decided, hey, let's drive to Indianapolis and go to a race. So we did. And we were walking. We walked the infield. We I mean, we had no idea what we were doing or getting ourselves into, but we ran into some concert in the infield i couldn't remember who i can't remember who it was but i mean there were just fans everywhere we got to walk essentially anywhere we wanted to go we walked through the garage and we didn't buy any extra passes or anything where were Um, your seats my so we sat on the front stretch underneath the grandstands pretty close to the checkered flag wow and i just remember that year uh dale jr and mark martin qualified toward the front for that race um but Again, Indianapolis Motor Speedway, it is a massive, massive facility. It, it, it is way bigger than what the TV even it, it, it looks like on TV. I mean, it's so just a massive place. From your seats, so obviously it, it's a huge track, like you were saying. And so you can't see all the – you can't see the entire track. So being there, was it worth being – like the atmosphere and stuff being there because – a lot of people say, ah, I just rather watch it on TV because at least I could see the whole race. Yeah. So to, uh, to me, first time at a NASCAR race, like you pointed out, I could see turn four. So I could see the cars coming out of turn four. They fly down the front stretch going, you know, 190, 200 miles an hour. And then I could see them turn into turn one. And then that's where I lost the cars. But the good thing about it is, is the track had like these jumbotrons. Nothing like the Charlotte Motor Speedway or you know Bristol with the the screen you know that's hanging in the middle of the track, but they had some big TVs on the front stretch, so you then could you know just watch that until the cars got back to turn four. Um, so yes, you couldn't see the whole track, but to me the atmosphere, the noise, seeing these cars just fly down the front stretch was was just so awesome to watch and, and basically. kind of what got me addicted to going to races live. Again, it's a completely different atmosphere. It's not as great as if you're watching it on TV because you can see the whole track and get the storylines and stuff like that. But the atmosphere alone is worth the price of admission, in my opinion. We're going to have to see how it compares to Bristol. There we go. I I, I can't wait. 
51 Cannot days. Wait. So <laughs> with all that being said, the last Zach's track facts of the evening, Indianapolis Motor Speedway, again, is such a massive facility that it has a golf course in the middle of the infield. It has a racing museum, like you pointed out. I, I went and visited that as well. Pretty, pretty, pretty cool stuff. It is pretty and awesome. And then it has a world-famous scoring pylon. So any typically any picture you see of Indy, it'll, it'll be the glass building that's considered the paddock, or you see the scoring pylon, which is world-famous. I mean, it, it keeps track of all the drivers, what position they're in, uh, and then obviously it's world-famous for, for also being the home of the Indian 500 as well. So... Those are the Zach's track facts of the evening. When looking at just the driver facts of of the last 15 races road course wise, I wanted to I wanted to do a deep dive. Last 15 races at road courses, the leading road course driver, as you can imagine, is Chase Elliott with an average finish of 6.5. My boy. Kyle Larson's right behind him with a finish of 10.2. Ryan Blaney's been sneaky good with an average finish of 10.8. And then Hamlin and Truex average finish 11.5. And Blaney one is pretty surprising, br- though. I, 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 yeah. I'm kind of surprised about that. I agree. I mean, Elliot Larson, no surprise there. Hamlin, Truex. Hamlin's, I, I don't typically see him as a good road course racer, but apparently he is with an average finish of where he's at. But, yeah, Ryan Blaney snuck in there at, in third with 10.8. So, uh, that was a nice surprise there. The reason why I wanted to go look at the last 15 races is Indy Road Course, like I said, it was brand new last year. So this is year two. It's kind of going to be another wild card race with these next-gen cars. You just don't know how these cars are going to perform and handle at this road course race. So, you, But you look at last year, the top five, A.J. Allmendinger won as a part-time driver for Colleague Motorsports. Second place, Ryan Blaney. There he is. Second place, Larson was third, Chase Elliott was fourth, and then Norton's boy, Matty D, finished fifth. <laughs> so those are your top five from last year. And I wanted to point out some quick highlights. I don't know if you remember this race last year or not, but they put some curbing down in turn six. It's a pretty sharp turn. And as the race went on, this curbing started to come up ever so slightly. And so William, Willie B, Willie Fast, Willie Byron went through turn six and the curbing was up high enough that it literally ripped the entire front end off his car, which then broke that. his tra- or broke his radiator and spread oil and water everywhere on the track. And it turned into an absolute demolition derby. I mean, there were cars flying everywhere. Joey Logano went head first into the into the tire wall. Um, a bunch of guys ripped their front ends off. It just turned into an absolute disaster. So they actually had to rip that uh, curbing up in turn six to finish the race. So it'll be interesting to see if they've got that problem fixed or if they're going to go to a completely new design and not use curbing in that corner. Because obviously, um, I think there were about 10 to 15 cars that were actually wrecked uh, in that. Uh, and obviously, first time at a track, you don't want that to happen. Kind of you know bring some negativity to the track. So. Um, the other storyline that I could recall is Chase Briscoe and Denny Hamlin were battling for the lead toward the end of the race. Forgot about this. And Briscoe kind of got pushed off the track and he just decided I'm just going to keep going. So he drove through the grass, got back on the track 
Well, his team didn't relay the message to him fast enough, but basically he was getting black flagged for, for shortcutting the, the turn. He was mad at Hamlin for pushing him off the track. Well, he went and basically wrecked Denny Hamlin, took Denny Hamlin out of the lead. He then has to serve his penalty because of the black flag, which then allowed A.J. Allmendinger, who was in third at the time, to go ahead, maintain first place, and actually go on to win the inaugural race uh, at the Indian Road Course. So I thought yeah. that was pretty important to give you a little bit of perspective on what happened last year. Yeah, because Chase Briscoe thought he was racing for the lead or for the win, right? So he yep. he thinks yep. I'm I'm trying to I'm gonna go all out. I'm gonna I'm you know, a young driver and <laughs> takes takes Hamlin out and uh, ends his day. So I that, I had forgotten about that storyline. That's a that's a pretty that's a pretty funny one. So um, yeah, and and, and Indy Indy is kind of his home track. I mean, he's from Indiana, so. I mean, I can't ima- not imagine. He's a rookie last year. Right. He's all juiced up. He's in, you know, racing for the lead, and again takes Hamlin out. Then is told, <laughs> "Oh, hey, buddy, you got to serve a penalty. You're not in first place now." So <laughs> him and Denny had a nice conversation on pit road after that race. <laughs> all right, so let's get to the picks. Who's gonna get a? Will anybody get a pie in the face this week? So. I think it's your turn to pick. I'm gonna let you pick your uh, your driver first. Well, I already know who you're taking. You're a homer. <laughs> Every sandwich family has this guy I, on their team. I called it. I called it earlier today or yesterday. I, I said I had to take. I, I have to. It, it's very obvious who you're picking. You're picking Chase Elliott, and I hope this is the podcast pick jinx. We're doing a new one. No, a new right. jinx. It's the podcast pick jinx. Chase Elliott. <laughs> is going to get more than 20 points this week and get oh. back to zero over the last six races. That's what my hope is. Knowing yeah. that you were, you were taking Chase Elliott, I mean, obviously that's a no-brainer. That's, you know, the apples right there in front of your face. You had to do it. I'm going to go with the next best driver, and that's Kyle Larson. I, it, it's a shot in the dark. He raced well there last year. I, I've just got to hope that someone can dethrone Chase at these road course races, and I hope Kyle Larson's the guy to do it this you, weekend. You didn't want to pick one of your uh... – cheaters one of your boys that nope again uh, i i'm going with my head uh, i don't want a pie in the face uh so i'm going with larson it's gonna we'll see what happens. even it's gonna be even sweeter when it's chase elliott. i'm gonna i'm gonna smash a chase elliott pie in your face that's <laughs> well, if he wins this again, week I'm, I'm, it's coming when he finishes 32nd this sunday there, there's no pie oh. pie possibility there but Anyways, those are our picks for the race. You got anything else that you want to add or or you can think of here to end the podcast? Nope, I think we're good. All right. Well, Josh, it's been fun. Thanks again to all the listeners out there for making this, uh, you know, something fun that we enjoy doing. And you go ahead and give it a listen. And, um, you know, that concludes episode 12 of the Atop the Pit Box podcast. All right, Zach. Thanks, everyone. Talk to you next week. Your day. I lost my mind. I need my spine.